0: Welcome to the Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcast, giving you the latest evidence based research and cutting edge insights for elite mental and physical performance. He's connecting you directly with the world's leading experts and coaches. Here's your host, Dr. Bubbs.
1: Hey, everyone, welcome to another edition of the Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcast. It's a huge honor today to have on the show Dr. Kate Shanahan one of the most trusted voices in sports nutrition science and science consultant for the Los Angeles Lakers Pro Nutrition Program. She's gonna dive into her new book, Deep Nutrition, Why Your Genes Need Traditional Foods. And of course, she'll start things off by discussing that evolutionary connection between the foods we eat and our health. She'll then take a deep dive into vegetable oils and how toxic they are specifically to our gut, to our antioxidant defense system, to oxidation and, of course, arterial aging. She'll also shift gears and talk sugar, how it impacts athletic performance, tissue quality, and, of course, your overall health. And finally, she provides some key insights into the common themes of traditional diets, which includes cooking meat off the bone, bone broth soups, of course, the tremendously nutrient-dense organ meats, and so much more. A ton of great stuff here. Uh, Dr. Kate is just a wealth of knowledge um, I hope you enjoy this podcast i've included my notes my layups and performance hacks at drbubs.com forward slash podcast and i hope you enjoy the show i'm joined today by dr kate shanahan md whose mission is to help every athlete and person who wants to achieve better health and their full potential she specializes in diagnosing metabolic imbalances that cause fatigue impair performance and promote injuries She brings out the inner athlete in all her patients in the pursuit of optimal body composition, disease reversal, and enhanced physical performance. She's worked as science consultant for the LA Lakers Pro Nutrition program since 2012, and Dr. Kate is among the most trusted voices in sport nutrition science. Her most recent book, Deep Nutrition, Why Your Genes Need Traditional Food, makes the case that our body's nutritional needs are not as complex as we are often led to believe. There is one diet that's good for everything, for improving strength and performance to reversing heart disease and diabetes, and good for everyone of every age. Dr. Kate, thank you so much for taking the time out today.
0: Thanks for having me on your show, Dr. Mark. This is fun.
1: Terrific. Well, listen, I'm a big fan of your work as a physician, as a nutritionist, and you know your new book, Deep Nutrition, is really insightful, very eloquently written, and i Think it'd be great if we can kick things off talking about DNA. Um, and there's one quote from your book that really stuck out to me and I'll, I'll read it quickly here. The DNA from our cells strung end to end would reach to the moon and back at least 5,000 times, but our genes make up only 2% of it. The rest of it is junk. Now, can you set the stage for listeners and explain this?
0: Yeah. So well, there, DNA is uh, is in every single one of our cells, right? It's, it's the molecules uh, that direct the cell to do everything. So a lot of times when we think about DNA, we just talk about, you know, okay, well we have to pass our genes on to our children. So we, we just think about, you know, the gonads and, and the, the ovaries and stuff like that. Um, but it, it's also in every single cell in our body and, it, and that's like mostly, you know, a big part of what it does is it directs the cell's activity. And so that massive Amount uh, that massive length um, uh, of in of uh, the DNA is all of the DNA in all of the cells in our body. Just to give you an idea of like how much there is in terms of information packed into
1: your body. It's mind-boggling, right?
0: Yeah, it's really uh, like you know uh, incredible, and it's so you know beyond just the sum total even what happens in any single cell is amazing when you break it down and start to look at it and think about all of it. So, you know, and we can talk about like, what is the rest of that 98% (laughs) doing? What's it doing there? What is it? Um, so the, when we say genes, we mean the part of the DNA that codes for protein and, uh, and the rest of the DNA does a lot of other stuff around deciding when each one of those protein coding sections should be allowed to be translated into the protein, right? So it's, it's not like there's protein in our DNA. It's sections of our, our DNA that have instructions for making protein. So like, let's say it's a, a hair follicle, right? So the major parts of that hair follicle are that make protein are going to be actually for physically making hair. So there's all kinds of enzymes involved in making that molecule of keratin, which is the kind of protein our hair is made out of. And so that particular kind of cell will uh, be mostly making that kind of protein. But then there's a lot of other uh, proteins that the, the cell has to make just to maintain its daily function, produce energy, um, and, uh, to decide when it's time to divide. That's a big decision point, a big thing that every cell has to do too. It has to decide if it's time to divide or time to, uh, keep on living the way it was. So, um, the, that 98% makes those decisions. So it's called junk because in our typical, um, 1950s, uh, fashion, so that a lot, some of this stuff uh, came. This term came out of the 1950s, like in our whole "better living through chemistry." We know better than nature mindset. For if sure. we didn't understand what something did, we just assumed it was like leftover trash. <laughs> 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 it didn't do anything. Not if we that didn't we didn't understand,
1: understand
0: it. Yeah, if we didn't understand it, couldn't be important. So, so that 98 percent actually is extremely important because it's it what it is what makes the the two percent come alive um it interacts with the outside world it interacts with the food that you eat with the water you drink with the air you breathe and it's what you know when stress affects your cells and affects your body it's affecting your cells function through that 98 percent. that's not junk and we now call it like regulatory dna and we have other names for it but um but it's extremely complicated and 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 it's too complicated for any anyone to even codify or understand at this point Um, so it's not something we want to take guesses about and that's why the only reason i'm bringing that up is is not to say that you know we're going to be trying to um trying to engineer it the whole point is the idea that we could engineer it is absurd it's magical thinking and yet we are still at the NIH and um, you know, all the leading institutions in this country laboring under the delusion that we’re going to be able to modify our gene our gene function um, in a in a way, you know, a substantial way to prevent disease. That’s just not how it’s going to work. It’s not going to happen. It hasn’t happened, and they’ve been spending billions and billions of dollars and remain unconvinced by their constant failures that that’s <laughs> not the, the correct thing to be doing what should be doing we should be doing is realizing that when it comes to health nutrition biology new is not better new and is not improved old is what got us here and we really better understand what got us here before we uh, there's no one around who knows what what we used to do in terms of what got us here, which was our cooking and culinary tradition. So that's why the subtitle of our book is "Why Your Genes Need Traditional Food," because that is the body of science we should be paying attention to.
1: Very, very well said. And you talk about how you know our lifestyle teaches our genes how to behave. Can can good nutrition reverse bad genes?
0: So it can reverse bad gene function. Um, and can it reverse bad genes? Well, maybe not, but not in your generation, unfortunately. So um you know bad genes or i should clarify is that that 2% of dna that have a mutation in them that causes um di- disease so that's uh, a kind of you know i guess a, a good definition of what is a bad gene mm-hmm. um but because technically our our genes also in, you know depending who you ask right so some people will say genes are just the protein coding segments and the rest is regulatory DNA and you shouldn't call it genes. But everyone does. (laughs) Right, except for geneticists. So just to clarify what we're talking about, um, the the protein coding sections are technically correctly called genes and that is what um, we were studying almost exclusively until very recently is those genes. Um, so most of the disease causing genes are in that 2%. Um, now much more recently, we've been able to do massive different types of sequencing and and understand the rest of the DNA, right? Just because the sheer quantity of it was difficult to, um, to, to sequence the rest of it. Um, so, um the uh the the rest of it now we under we're better able to find anomalies and so these are the tests that when people um get their their dna sent off to certain um gene testing uh companies they are some of them are also testing these regulatory segments because we now are understanding that there's dna mutations in regulatory segments that also cause disease so those dna mutations though, um, are workaroundable in some cases, right? So if you, even if you have a DNA mutation in a protein coding segment, well, maybe you only have one of the two copies of your DNA with that mutation, right? So the body sometimes can make do with the other copy functioning. And the better your diet, the better you allow everything in your cell to work, the more likely you'll do well even if you have uh, one bad copy. So a perfect example is um, sickle cell. People with sickle cell anemia have um, can have one copy of the sickle cell trait. So sickle cell disease is, uh, mostly in African Americans because it enabled people to be resistant to malaria. And for most of, uh, or for much of our history as humans, we were all living in Africa. And so malaria was a big deal and not dying from it was a big deal. So the sickle cell gene actually gave some people with a trait an advantage because the, the, um, the red blood cells are abnormally shaped, and they just basically clog up the little nozzle of the mosquito nose, so he can't um, he can't <laughs> get he can't won't get even, at it. Yeah, yeah. So he's not going to give you any diseases either. So um, uh, so sickle trait has uh, a tendency to have some abnormal uh, shaped cells only when you're maybe stressed or sick. Uh, um, and then, uh, so you most of, most of your life, if you have a sickle trait, you can do perfectly well. Uh, but if you have sickle cell disease, you'll have the sickle cell crises from time to time, where your um, the abnormally shaped cells or the shells the, the cells the red blood cells have a tendency to become abnormally shaped, and then they do, and then they clot in your arteries and stuff like that, and you have what's called a sickle cell crisis. And so, if you only have the trait, that hardly ever happens. But if let's so now we're talking about like what if you only have the trait? Well, if you have a healthy diet and your body is tougher. You are more able to resist things that happen to bring out a crisis, and this is an issue actually in the NFL because the the, the sickle cell trait is fairly common. It's common enough where um, they were having uh, conversations around whether or not you want to screen people before accepting them into the NFL for having sickle cell trait. And, you know, right. is that discrimination or not? And so um, the the resolution, I believe, was to go ahead and screen um, because everyone was doing it anyway. But I, I'm not sure. I th- I'm not sure if that's actually been settled. But, yeah, so they would select out for people who have the trait and not allow them in the M- NFL, you know, if it ever goes through. Um, and and so, but if you have that trait, if, this, if you're listening, um, if you are – Metabolically healthy you're going to have fewer episodes of crises because your body is more able to handle the stresses uh, And do the workarounds required uh, when you have one abnormally functioning um, gene So that's kind of a long answer to your question But that just gives you an idea that there's there's lots of different things we're talking about (laughs) When we talk about working, you know, uh, how does your metabolism help help your bad genes and even the worst case scenario? of the some of the most deadly genes like the brca1 genes for breast cancer and ovarian cancer um are still workarounds so the the healthier you are the better your chance of avoiding cancer even if it would seem to be completely you know in your family uh everywhere uh you know and you have the brca1 gene and lots of people who've died uh, you still can do better by getting your metabolism healthy
1: Absolutely. That's very well said. And you go through that whole treatment in your book in such an eloquent way. Now, you know, we share a deep appreciation for the work of Dr. Weston A. Price. And in, in your book, you share some of his findings in traditional populations. Can you highlight a few for folks listening in?
0: Yeah. So um, Dr. Weston Price was, uh, I don't know if your listeners are familiar with him. So he was a dentist who lived in the 1930s. And his idea, uh, brilliant idea, was to look for uh, healthy people and find out what they're eating to serve as a control to give recommendations um, back in the States because uh, he noticed that uh, there were lots of crooked teeth and he just didn't think it was nature's plan, right, to have... People have crooked teeth when no other animal species did. So he uh, hypothesized that there were healthier people elsewhere, and he, he was correct. Uh, so he traveled around, you know, to eleven different countries, finding healthy people who had been isolated from um, civilization and continued their traditional food ways. And so what he found was people had straight teeth, <laughs> um, and so he was correct. But the other thing that he found, and what we write about in the the chapter that um, where we discuss. Uh, beauty, it's right? uh, dynamic symmetry, um, is uh, uh, the, the name of the chapter, uh, and um, it, um, it um, describes this geometric principle that underlies the growth of healthy people, and, you know, beauty, actually, uh, is the result of growing according to that geometric principle, so it's not just hypothetical, it's something that we feel very strongly, um, respond emotionally very strongly when we see it, because it's something very, very important to nature. And what it means is that if you see a beautiful person, and, you know, they have, they do have this, Uh, geometry which is generally why we perceive them as beautiful maybe not just in their face but generally throughout their whole body so they tend to have like a long graceful neck and a long waist and very shapely if they're women uh, very broad shoulders or big chests. if they're men um, you know long graceful legs all these sort of things Um, so this also by the way is what athletes tend to have because they are built in general according to this design or they would not be able to be athletes. Um, So this is what dr. Price found everywhere. He went and um, and It's something that you don't have to have uh, Any kind of understanding of geometry or genetics to recognize Uh, nature builds it into our Psychology so that we emotionally love looking at people who are beautiful. That's why they're movie stars. That's why we like watching sports partly Um, so because we're seeing poetry in motion, essentially sure. <laughs> so um, so uh, that is kind of the uh, metaphysical part of what happens when generation after generation, you have fed your genes with what they require to function up op- optimally. Um, so, Uh, that is kind of one of the most fascinating things that my husband and my co-writer Luke and I discovered when we were doing the research for this book so we put it right in the first part of the book
1: yeah it's incredible and I mean I was uh, amazed as well you know the today's RDAs are obviously you know quite arbitrary and you you know you review Dr. Price's findings in terms of nutrients and it's, it's it's quite stark contrast to today's RDAs can you touch base on that
0: so, yeah, Weston Price, um, when he went everywhere that he went, he took back some food to analyze in his lab. And when he did, he found that the nutrient content, for example, of the cheese from Switzerland um, had in many cases 10 to 50 times the the concentration of a variety of vitamins and minerals, as the same cheese on the store, uh, <laughs> on the store shelf, where he was comparing to what people in America would be eating, and the the reason for this is very important. It's got to so it was not just the cheese. It was like so many things that they did, it, like their their rye, right, that they made bread out of. Uh, the same story had so many more minerals and and was so much more rich in nutrients than the rye bread in the United States. Um, and uh, the reason for this is because in these traditional cultures, it's not just what they eat; it's also they start with the soil. They they start with the environment they live in. They fortify the soil. They do they do like you know we call it kind of like bi- biodynamic is the closest. Uh, Thing that people might have heard of it's yep. way beyond organic right you're 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 keeping the soil the organism of the soil you're considering the probiotics of the soil and the everything like that so that the food that you get is as bioconcentrated in all of that good stuff that's ultimately coming from the soil as humanly possible as nature could possibly make it and so the food is so much more healthy. And that's why when you look at what he describes people eat in some cases, it seems very repetitive. Like for example, in Switzerland, they had, there were times where they really were eating basically cow products and, and rye bread and maybe some, you know, stuff that they would hunt and a few things that they would grow in their garden. But primarily it was living off of cow and, um, and rye for a good portions of the year. And that was enough because they paid such attention to the soil and, those foods were superfoods. So, we like to talk about superfoods, right? And these were beyond, you know, what anything that now in the store is sold as a superfood in terms of value because they start with the soil. So, that's why we emphasize source. And it's so important to the best we can do in this country is um, get grass fed. Um, and so, uh, you know, that, that's why we strongly recommend getting any kind of animal product. Uh, particularly dairy products where the cows have been grass-fed instead of fed grain and soy.
1: Yeah, it's incredible how, you know, trying to – large corporations trying to take that food chain and just commodifying everything it's it's, we've gotten away from a lot of those traditional roots, which you just described with you know massive impacts on um, nutrient density of the food Um, and of course in your book you know in the last hundred years you mentioned how things have dramatically changed in terms of our food consumption and of course vegetable oil intake being one of those things that's dramatically on the rise Um, and of course with some significantly negative impacts can you can you list a few of the ways that vegetable oils negatively impact health
0: yeah, so vegetable oils like corn oil, canola oil, soy oil—those three, uh, those are three big ones. Um, they, uh, we, I like to call them liquid death.
1: Uh, <laughs> nice, that's a good, clear way. <laughs> Fantastic.
0: Because um, if if you had like a Geiger counter of how um, damaging these things will be to your cellular function, even to your DNA. Um, you know, that you could walk down the grocery aisle with, uh, wh- you, you'd be walking through the grocery store, you know, on the edges of the store, it would be pretty quiet, background, radiation, but you would get to where the chips are sold, and um, tater tots, and um, pastries, and, and salad dressing, and that Geiger counter would be screaming at you, because when you eat foods that are high in vegetable oils, the vegetable oils break down in ways that uh, lead to something very much like radiation so it's it's called a free radical cascade and it's a uh, free radicals are high energy molecules that fly around randomly in your cell and just destroy whatever they bash into at an extremely rapid rate so um uh so they they're this is why vegetable oils are are bad for us um because they cause cellular they wreck cellular havoc it's uh I like to compare, like, a large um, French fry, like a large sack of those large French fries you might get from a fast food joint, mm-hmm. to a pack of cigarettes in terms of the equivalent health damage, right? So it's not like your head's going to blow off um, immediately when you have a pack of fries. It's not your head's not going to blow off immediately uh, when you <laughs> develop, when you smoke a pack of cigarettes. But you smoke enough, you have enough French fries, you have enough of those vegetable oils over years, you're going to get some kind of sickness. Um, and I actually have done some math and figured out that the vegetable oil is actually worse than cigarettes because of um, the way that it impacts our antioxidant systems and uh, Vegetable oil has a more powerful effect and, and that's why we see effects of vegetable oil in just about everybody eventually um, Who eats it and and um, the more they've gotten from childhood the sooner you're gonna see an impact um, and so this is why now there's like, uh, I think something like 25% of children, um, are overweight, um, and many children now are, are developing diabetes and having heart attacks and strokes and developing complications of diabetes and having kidney failure, neurological problems. Um,
1: yeah, it, staggering, it, isn't yeah. it?
0: Exactly, the children. So we used to think this type 2 diabetes was something that only older people got. But yeah. that was because uh, their adult, diet
1: Adult onset diabetes, right? <laughs> we had to change power. the name?
0: Yeah, so it's oxidative stress is aging these children.
1: And you talk about the dietary-induced arterial aging. Can you speak to that a little bit?
0: Yeah, so... Um, we talk about cholesterol clogging arteries and saturated fat clogging arteries because that's what doctors are taught that's what um the idea that came out of the 1950s was that uh, it was a puritanical idea that um, enjoyable foods are sinful and if fat is going to is, is indulgent and it's going to you know it's it's sinful and evil and it's going to make you sick mm-hmm. and and it was not a scientific thought at the time it was never supported by science. However, it was promoted as if it were supported by science. And I talk about how that uh, happened in the book, um, why we thought there was science when there wasn't. So it's not like we've gone back and forth. It's not like the science has gone back and forth. The science that you've heard has gone back and For forth. Sure. That's really a spin. And so what happens is... Um, when you have a lot of vegetable oil in your diet and sugar, um, the two of them combine to damage the particles that carry lipoproteins that carry the fat in your blood. They damage these particles, so the particles can't carry fat, and they don't they don't last very long. And instead of being able to deliver fat. They, uh, they fail, and they basically fail by dropping out of circulation and splat lining on the edge of your artery, and over time, you get a lot of that, you build up into an arteriosclerotic plaque, and you can get heart attacks, strokes, intermittent claudication, all kinds of vascular disease, it can promote aneurysms, um, and uh, so that's what really causes heart attacks and strokes, not cholesterol and eggs and butter.
1: Yeah, and you, uh, you know you go through the Ansel Keys and the Diet Heart Hypothesis so well, and of course. You know, vegetable oils lowering uh, LDL cholesterol is one of the reasons why, as you mentioned, in the spin is often one of the things cited as a reason to be taking them. But you also cover some, you know, better markers for cardiovascular disease health in terms of triglycerides, HDL. Can you talk about some of the, you know, better markers that folks could be paying attention to for their heart health?
0: Yeah. So, in terms of blood test results, when you get your lipid panel, it's um, what I look at is the triglyceride to HDL ratio, and um, it's not just me; it's it's most doctors now who practice low carb or low carb LCHF, low carb healthy fat. Um, and we uh, the 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 other two numbers there are your total cholesterol and your LDL cholesterol, and those are the two numbers that the drug companies want doctors to pay attention to because they've got a product that will impact those two numbers, but um, the 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 doctors who practice low-carb, we don't pay much attention to those at all. I, I don't pay any attention to the total cholesterol, um, and I only pay attention to the LDL cholesterol, which is what they call bad cholesterol. Um, unless it's over 190, then I'll, you know, talk about family history and see if there's a family history, possibly somebody has something called familial hyperlipidemia. Um, but the other two numbers, triglycerides, are the total amounts of, of fats um, that, uh come from your diet primarily that are in your blood or they can even come from your own fat cells um, in some cases. Uh, But uh, the uh, HDL is the so-called good cholesterol and um, if you take your triglyceride number and divide it by the HDL number and you come out with a number that's greater than 2.5, that's a problem and it means that your, your body is not handling the amount of fat in your blood very well. And it's probably in the process of promoting arterial disease.
1: And too much sugar has a massive impact on LDL as well, correct?
0: Yeah. So both sugar and vegetable oil work together to cause oxidative stress. So it's like a one-two punch. Um, You know, both of them are bad, but together they're really bad. And so one of the great things about the low carb diet is that not only do you cut your sugar, but you're without even knowing what vegetable oils are, you're cutting them out because when you go low carb, um, you don't just cut out sugar like soda and, you know, candy and often, you know, a lot of fruit. Americans eat a lot uh, too much fruit in general. But, um, the, uh, other thing you cut out is the junk food that are full of, starchy flours and potatoes and vegetable oils. So going low carb is beneficial not just because you're cutting carbs and reducing your insulin, but also because you tend to drastically reduce these vegetable oils and that will drastically improve your cholesterol uh, numbers. And in many cases, when people have gone low carb and they don't see those improvements, it's because for whatever reason, they're still getting vegetable oils. And, uh, you know, like maybe they go out to eat a lot and they're not eating carb, but they're eating meats and vegetables that have been fried in those oils.
1: Absolutely. And, you, you know, you talk about sugar, working with Canada basketball and NBA players, and I'm sure you've seen this as well. Some guys can be consuming a heck of a lot more sugar than you would than you would think and sort of getting away with it seemingly on the on the outside. Can you talk about, you know, your experience with that sort of sugar sugarholics and, and whether athletes or, or professional uh, NBA players, etc.?
0: Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, sugar is promoted by the sports nutritionists, um, you know, not in the form of candy, but in the form of fruit and fruit juice, they are promoting sugar. And um, you, you athletes can get away with eating a lot of sugar for a while because they don't get fat because they are burning off the calories but um on the inside that sugar is kind of corroding them and you can their metabolism is kind of getting weaker and wearing away and so uh when i uh look at the blood test results of athletes who maybe have just eight percent body fat um if they're eating a lot of candy very often you can see not just the fasting blood sugar getting high which is above 90 but also their triglycerides are high and their liver um functions are high and, um, so the, uh, the other thing is that they don't feel as good as they used to, right? When that starts sure. to happen, um, it doesn't happen usually when they're 17 or even when they're 24, but often by the late twenties, um, you know, cause athletes are genetically gifted, right? They've got what we call genetic momentum and they can get away with bad diets not just because they're exercising, but also because of that genetic momentum. So they can get away with it for longer. But usually even um even these, you know, people with fantastic genes, by their late twenties they'll have some kind of an issue and they'll think, Oh, I'm just getting older but no, well, I mean, yes, you are, you've are. you been aging your metabolism. You've been aging yourself metabolically. But you can reverse all that by becoming a better fat burner. Um, and to do that, you have to cut the carbs back and get the right kinds of fats in your diet, get those vegetable oils out.
1: 100%. And I'm, I know therapists and things will see that as well in terms of tissue quality and whatnot. And certain athletes, again, as you mentioned, as they get older and all of a sudden these high sugar diets and the, the tissue quality and the joint movement's not nearly as nice as it, uh, as it used to be. And, of course, in your book, you mentioned, you know, the four pillars of the human diet. You outline um, as, uh, you know, the optimal human diet, and one of which is meat cooked on the bone. Can you talk about the benefits of slow cooking meats?
0: Yeah, so just like get the the chicken with the skin on, include the bones, um, or you could use uh, like ribs is a kind of slow cooking. You can slow cook it in a slow cooker, you can slow cook it in the barbecue or in a low oven. But what you're doing is a lot of good stuff. You're you're um, you're not overcooking it. You're make that makes the proteins more bioavailable. You're getting healthy fats because also the fat helps to keep you from overcooking it. But the Most special thing of all is that you're getting very important molecules called glycosaminoglycans and uh, hyaluronic acid and other uh, special molecules that are missing food group from the American food chain right now that are part of every traditional culture that have benefits to our connective tissue. And, um, so like I'm talking about like beef stock or bone stock and it's derived from boiling the joint material. So like when you have a chicken and there's all that you're eating gnawing down on the leg, this shiny white stuff at the end, that's the collagen, um, the collagen and the cartilage get broken down when you boil them for a long time into nutrients that have a growth factor like, like effect. And that's why our body needs them because they, they, um, stimulate the activity. It's like taking hormones, but they're totally legal. Sure. They, they stimulate the um, the activity of these cells called fibroblasts that make collagen. Athletes, whether they know it or not, their career longevity depends on the health of their collagen because collagen is what their joints are made out of and their bones are made out of. And um, the number one reason for, you know, for a foreshortened athletic career is some kind of joint problem so um getting these uh getting chicken stock or beef stock or eating skin with a uh, chicken with the skin on like rotisserie chicken um uh that uh, or even like pork rinds sort of they've kind of been overcooked to death but even the skin you know in pork rinds has this collagen um and that will help extend an athlete's career
1: it's incredible, as you mentioned in the book, and you know, for myself after university, I did a lot of traveling in South America and Asia and Africa and places, and of course, everywhere you went, people were, you know, as you mentioned in the book, cooking the, the entire animal and using the, the juices and the liquids, and of course, getting all these incredible nutrients, and you know, you mentioned in your book as well, organ meats as another nutritional powerhouse. Um, that's yeah. Something that's not so common anymore. I remember eating uh, liver growing up. I'm not sure if. Uh, families these days are eating as much as we used to why are organ meats so beneficial for us and and what the heck happened uh, in america why are we eating so few now
0: <laughs> yeah so I, I the lakers do love their chicken stock and their beef stock but i have not um had any luck well actually i haven't really tried that hard to get them to eat things <laughs> like liver and other organs um uh, so they're so beneficial because uh what they have is a lot of they a different they have a different nutritional profile than just muscle meat and so like right now we just Process the animal and because the the liver and the kidney and the you the brain even the things like the trachea and the lungs You know people used to eat all that stuff because they go bad really quick and it's uh, Not even part of the food supply anymore. We don't preserve it. You know, we don't Freeze much of it, and we don't know how to cook it. And the, the the main reason, really, is that people don't know how to cook it. They don't want to cook it. If people would start wanting to cook it, we could bring it back. There would be then there would be a market for it. But the main reason is that you know we've not been told that these things are also essential uh, and missing food group from the American food chain. And the 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 I mentioned early just a minute ago that they have a different nutritional profile than muscle, right? So muscle meats from any animals are very high in protein and, you know, red meat has some iron and pork products have some B vitamins. But um, the organs each concentrate a different profile of nutrients. So they have loads more of different, you know, vitamins and minerals than what meat has. And in order to get the full, like, spectrum rainbow of nutrients that we need, we have to eat the full spectrum of uh, you know, carnivores, or omnivores. We don't just have to eat meat to be an omnivore. We have to eat all different parts of the animal. Really, that's what all other omnivores do, mm-hmm. and we're not doing that. And so it's just like we're just getting a small sliver of the nutritional spectrum. And nutritionists like to talk about eating your color rainbow of vegetables. Well, the same applies to different organs of an animal's body. They each have their own special nutritional value.
1: And it's incredible because when you go to the the butcher shop, the organ meats are actually the, typically the cheapest cut of meat out there, uh, and and the most nutrient dense. So we really just have to convince everyone. Is that right?
0: Yeah, it's just a matter of you know having people figure out what to do with them and how to make them taste good because we uh, we don't grow up even eating liver, and it's if we don't get a food or a flavor in childhood, it's not easy. Not very many people are. Um, able to process it's kind of like uh there's you've heard of super tasters these are people who actually enjoy new flavors and um and their brains can process them better as well but you know after a while some people's brains just don't process new taste information it's like learning a language um and so if you haven't grown up eating something you may not ever really like it. It, it but we do i do in my book go over how to do the best that you can to cross that barrier to start liking foods that you don't like because you know they're good for you and you want to enjoy them. So you know there is a way, but um, it, it you have to follow the process. You gotta
1: jump in, right? <laughs> well, you dive yeah. into some brain building foods as well. One of which is you know the amino acid cysteine. Can you talk about why that's so crucial for optimal brain health?
0: Yeah, so cysteine is an amino acid that is uh, essential to one of our most important antioxidant enzyme systems. So when we talk about antioxidants, um, we're talking about fighting the aging process, fighting free radicals, fighting oxidation, fighting inflammation. And um, a lot of folks don't realize that our body has enzyme systems that are the front line of of defense against oxidation so these are antioxidants that the body makes um, and it makes them uh, enzymes are made out of proteins and so one of the antioxidant enzyme systems requires um, cysteine and it's uh, it, it's uh, you've probably heard of glutathione it's because this enzyme system uses glutathione mm-hmm. and it's present in a lot of tissues in your body um uh, especially in the liver and um, cysteine uh, is an essential amino acid. Our body can't make it, so we do need to eat it. So that's why I list in the book several of the great sources out there in the natural world of this very important amino acid.
1: Terrific. Well you know, so many great insights in the book. Uh, definitely want to respect your time here. So if we shift gears a little bit, can we, can we get some insights about yourself in terms of your morning routine? Are you a coffee drinker? How do you start your day?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I do drink coffee. Like I never did until I went to Thailand and, um, I totally got hooked on their Dunkin' Donuts. They had this Thai, uh, iced coffee and it was loaded with sugar, but it was so good. That's when I got hooked in medical school. And, um, and uh, that, gradually I got myself off the sugar, now I just have uh, coffee that I've cold brewed on the counter overnight, in the morning I just dump it through a filter so it's more instant than instant. Uh, back in the days of instant coffee, which I don't think people even know what that is anymore, but
1: <laughs> So true.
0: <laughs> um, and, uh, and then I pour in about a cup, or a cup and a half of raw milk from grass fed cows that I get from a store here in Connecticut, very, Hard to find raw milk, but um, it's worth it. And then I also use cream that's also from grass fed cows. And I put in probably about maybe uh, close to a quarter cup. And that uh, holds me for the whole day. Um, yeah,
1: so. I'm not at all. Yeah, we've got so many people up here in Canada, the Tim Hortons double-double, which is two cream, two sugar. So I like mm-hmm. your insights there that you were able to get off of the sugar. So good good piece of advice <laughs> for a lot of our listeners that this is definitely possible. Now, um, last thing here before we let you go, just that sort of 30,000-foot view. If you could go back 10 years and give yourself some advice, what would it be?
0: Um, don't... Do primary care medicine. <laughs> yeah, uh, so um, gosh, I don't know. Uh, I guess it would, yeah, I would have to do something other than primary care medicine. It's so inefficient in terms of getting this kind of information. I'd probably go back and get a public health degree.
1: It's. I mean, it's. Uh, you know, someone on the front lines, and you know, your work so inspiring. It is so true that it's. It just moves so slowly, doesn't it? It's like turning an aircraft carrier or something. That uh, you know, these insights and all the things that you write about in your book take so long to really implement into, you know, day to day clinical work for for the the vast majority, right?
0: Uh huh. Yeah, and with ten years for me, it's like you know I'm still old at that point. So I'd have to go back like thirty years to make a real difference.
1: <laughs> well, listen, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, huge fan of your work. Your new book, Deep Nutrition, is, is phenomenal. Um, where can people pick up the book, and where can people stay connected with you on uh, Twitter and social media?
0: Oh, great question. So drkate.com is my website, and that's d r c a t e dot com. Um, and there's no dot after the R, and it's Kate with a C. And uh, my website will uh, direct you to how to find the book. But the books in grocery or grocery stores, the books in bookstores everywhere, and it's online, Amazon.com, and on Audible. So you're listening to podcasts you probably like listening
1: to things for sure absolutely (laughs) well thanks for coming on we'll definitely include all the links in a podcast summary in the show notes at drbubs.com forward slash podcast thanks for everyone else tuning in if you have any questions or comments i'd love to hear from you on facebook or twitter at dr bubs you can use the hashtag dr if you enjoy the show please head over to itunes subscribe and leave us a rating and again thanks for listening see everyone next week